Welcome back to another episode of On the Bench with Beaks. This is episode 44, and I am your host, Cody Beekman. With me, as always, is the incomparable Bryce McMillan. Hello, hello, hello. How's it going, guys? The dutiful Ross Moormeyer. Ooh, what's up, guys? And the incredible Daniel Betty. Hey, guys. How's it going? Today, we have a returning guest star, a man, the myth, the legend. Gabe Gote is back on the bench. Gabe, say hello to everybody once again. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Be, as always, love it. Um, just excited to talk uh, talk more to you guys. So what, what else to do on a Friday night than talk to uh, a bunch of Friggin' hockey dudes, right? Bunch of stick and there you go. <laughs> But before we get to Gabe Gutierrez, let's start it off with a little bit of hockey day in history. Um, who do I want to go first today? Uh, Bryce, let's hear your hockey day in history. All righty, fantastic. So in this hockey day in history, uh, we have announced that the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Natural Predators in 2000-2001 season would be playing their opening NHL season in Japan. Oh, and that happened, cool. And that happened in the 2000-2001 season. Um, I think at, in that time frame, Yager was still with the Penguins. That's pretty sweet. I Yeah, I don't, I don't, for some reason, I don't remember that at all, but that's awesome. Yeah. They played two games, the first uh, first two games of the NHL season, um, and both teams, I guess, just decided to switch who was home and who was away for either game. Was yeah, it just, of... Bryce, was it just those two teams that went? Do you know that by chance? Uh, yeah, uh, reading I on think, it. Yeah. I was going to say, I know the Ducks did that at some point. Yeah, maybe that's so, why I'm thinking about it too, Ross. Not saying that it was against the Canucks, but I know the Canucks also did something like that it too might have been actually against the canucks dude because i remember them going over to japan because there's a patch specifically for that that's so, why i'm thinking of it too like just yeah. from looking at jerseys all the time yeah well yeah our our, our you know heroin addiction quote unquote <laughs> it's oh, damn, true that's a sweet, that's, that's a sweet, sweet one brace i love it yeah what do you guys what was that, Cody? Go. Oh, all right. Well, um, today, well, it'd be January 15th. Uh, oh, hold on. Oh, January 15th, 1991. Uh, Paul Coffey scored a goal to become one's all-time scoring leader among defensemen with his... 344th point passing Ron Stackhouse in a Pittsburgh 5-4 to four loss to the Flyers. Wait, sorry. Did you say that Coffey became the highest scoring defenseman in NHL history with 344 points? No, with the Penguins. Okay. Wow, he wasn't even on the Penguins that long. No, that's how much dirt he did, dude. That's why Damn. I love ball coffee. <laughs> it's nuts. All right. All right, Daniel, what do you got here, buddy? 
All right, I've got a juicy one. Um, so we're, I, I, lately I've been doing a lot of research on the history of the, uh, the NHL, and I stumbled across this gem where it's this date, well, it's January 13th, 1922, and the, uh, there was a game happening between the Montreal Canadiens and this team called the Hamilton Tigers. And the score oh. was 10, 10 to 6. And it's the only time ever that two brothers each scored four goals in the same game for the same team. Oleg and Sprague Cleghorn each scored four goals for the Montreal Canadiens in a 10 to 6 victory over the Hamilton Tigers in on January 13th, 1922. It's going to be a real real difficult to beat right there. Can With I the can I throw something one more at you? Yeah. Can I just like it. do a little bit of a mini trip? Guess who the goalie is uh for that Montreal Canadiens team? <laughs> I don't want to guess. Jeez. Uh, what year is this? 1922. Oh God. Um, God. I'll get. I'll give you some hints. He's also known as the Shakucumber. <laughs> oh my God. What? God! All right. He's also the one of the first 14 members of the first class of the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1995. Jacques oh Plant. shit! What's that, Cody? Jacques Plant. No, he's the first goalie to record an NHL shutout. Oh, wow. oh, jeez! Jacques Plant was later on, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. It was, God, was this? Um, God, I'm trying to think of his name. Was this the Habs goalie that? Uh, what is it? Was the captain for a little bit before he actually? I can't think of his name right now. I did a goalie deal on him. I feel so bad, but um, yeah, no, he claimed he was the captain for the Canadians as a goalie. No, for, no, it wasn't no. that guy. Here's here's probably the biggest hint to give you the answer. He's got a trophy named after. Him. He's a goalie with a trophy named after him. Oh, Vesna. Yeah, George Vesno was the goalie for that team that I'm talking about. And oh my. Yeah, yeah, this is way back. And I just thought I'd bring it up because um he was an incredible goalie for all those hints I I mentioned, but also he um around this time was on the verge of winning his third Stanley Cup, but he was part of that team that was on the Montreal Canadiens that um, after a few games, it was canceled because of the Spanish flu pandemic in 1919. Oh, that's right. That's right. You are correct on that. So, yeah, just a lot of juicy history going on. You know, that's the rabbit hole I've been in the last couple of weeks. So thought I'd share. <laughs> Not bad. with a little bit of like uh family animosity 
January 15th, 1990, the Washington Capitals fire their coach, Brian Murray, and hire none other than his brother, Terry. That's <laughs> it. So, uh, let's uh, let's think about uh, an awkward Thanksgiving, maybe awkward Christmas. Who knows? But that's what we're <laughs> uh, in history. Well, it's not too bad, boys. That was uh, filled with some juicy tidbits. So, uh, let's get on to Gabe Gautier. Get about, you know, uh, Gabe, you, you coming up uh, from DU, playing a little bit in uh, L.A., <laughs> Um, giving out some crazy behind the scenes, and uh, that's kind of where we left it off. And we always said we'd do a part two, so part two here and now. Let's get into it. I mean, after anal bleaching, where do we start? But I mean, uh, <laughs> Gabe the Clorox Gautier tells it yeah. all. Yeah, stay, stay clean and don't put it on your face. Yeah. For real. <laughs> I can already uh, tell this is gonna go like go off without a hitch. I um, know, so, but um, I mean, no, so those 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 were those were those were some good times. But you know, of of my pro career, I spent majority of my time in uh, in Manchester, aka Manch Vegas. Um, oh, yeah. So that's in it's in Manchester, New Hampshire. Why it's called Manch Vegas? Don't ask me. It's just it's something that. <laughs> they it's self-proclaimed Manch Vegas, but uh, that's where that's where I spent most of my most of my pro time um, there, and it was great. Like it was four four seasons. Uh, two of the seasons we we went to the conference finals. Um, you know, I played with some hell of a like just the crew the crew the crew I played with. Uh, went on to go win the Stanley Cup, right? With LA back, uh, and it was the what 2011 season, 11 12, was it? Wow, um, but uh, like that was like majority of that team were all in Manchester, right? And, and it just like it was just crazy because we, we all played together and we ended up going to the conference finals that year, right? Um, we had Ber- Bernier was our goalie that year because Quick was up. Oh, um, oh! But uh, it was it was a hell of a year, and then and then you look the next season, and uh, you know they bring up Trevor Lewis, right? And Martinez comes up and uh, stays there. Uh, you know they made some trades, but it was uh, it was awesome. It was awesome to see see those guys uh, accomplish that because. You know, I played with them in the minors, and that's that's exactly what the minors is there for. It's to, you know, to prep those guys for the NHL to step in and make an impact. So, so good on LA back then. Oh yeah. So as like you know, uh, your role on the team, you know, where uh, what what kind of role do you like to uh, like like to play for Manch Vegas? <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah, that's that's another thing I'll, I'll, I'll kind of touch on is like being being a player that's called up like I was, where um, you know you, you have your your franchise players, but you you have your certain type of players that will go up and down or either stay there. But anyway, is um, in Manch Vegas, I was 
uh, a key center guy, right? So take taking faceoffs, winning faceoffs, not only in crucial times, but just in everyday situations or every, every you know, like power play penalty kill. Whenever there was a faceoff to be to be won, um, I was out there taking those faceoffs. So that was one of my one of my strengths. And then the other one was just the uh, the playmaking ability. Um, you know, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't too good defensively, but um, you know, I was I was good offensively, and I made plays. And uh, you know, I was also an aggressive player too. I love to get in the corners. Um, you know, take on those big guys because, uh, like, ultimately, I, I wanted that puck, <laughs> and, it, and it started from when I was a kid, right? Just the the aggression too with my my dad and and wanting that puck, and it's like you, you control the puck, you control the game, um, you know. So it's kind of like in football with the quarterback, you know, the, those guys they want the puck in those critical times, or I mean, sorry, they want the football, you know, in their hands. Same with basketball the shooters, right? Big time shooters. They want the ball in their hands at the last time. So that's kind of how I was is I wanted the puck on my stick, um, you know, in those times and, and make something happen. And then getting called up, it was, um, it was a different scenario, right? Because then at the time it was, I think Kopitar was hurt. Uh, Camilleri was hurt. They had a couple like top, I think Brown, no, Brown was still in. But they had a couple top forwards, right, that were that were hurt. And um, that year, too, that was in 06, um, L.A. wasn't good, right? So it just shows you the development. So back in 06, L.A. was not a good organization, right? But we had a good minor league system. So, so I got called up, but I got called up, and I was on the fourth line. So I saw maybe five five and a half minutes a game uh you know of the of the five games that I got called up for and that was a tough transition and right obviously like if we you know we can go back we'd change it obviously we would and you know if I were to tell myself in that situation again is what I tell kids now is is play to your role but then also play to the strengths of your position on the team right so what I'm what I mean by that is like in match, I was <clears throat> the offensive guy, the go-to guy, the face-off guy, and then getting called up, being a fourth-line guy, I wasn't, I, that wasn't what I was utilized for. That's not what I was called up for. I was more to be the, just kind of that shutdown guy or to, to be that every other line uh, to give the top guys a rest, right? Um, and so that was the transition of not – not really knowing that role or having someone basically over my shoulder saying, this is, this is it. But, you know, those are little things that, um, you know, you can talk to guys now that have gone through that is, is when you get called up, if you're not getting called up for your role, you're getting called up for the role that they want you to be and you have to adapt and adjust to that. Right. And it kind of, I feel like it kind of like speaks to really uh, uh, how open-minded you should be as like a hockey player in general, especially when you're being called up from one team where you have a role here to another team. Like you have to be open-minded and be able to like adapt to playing a different game because there uh, sometimes 
the team, uh, you know, the coach or uh, the, this other team that's calling you up, they need you for a completely different reason. So I it, like it really does speak to how open minded I think hockey players should be. Exactly. And and the other thing, too, is, um, you know, the the idea of being a one dimensional player is kind of out the window now. Um, you have to be such a multifaceted player, uh, to make it in the game. Like, you know, I watch the world junior man and like all those kids, they, they kind of look the same, but they stand out because they, they can adapt and adjust to different roles in different situations. Um, where, you know, you don't, you, every team right now, no matter what level you're at, any premier level, you're going to have that one or two goal score that's it like every team has it and then so all those guys adjust to those roles where you can have a guy that can be a premier goal scorer but just not on that team but if he he moves up or gets traded or or finds another team because they want that type of player he can now adjust and go to to another thing that he knows what to do right and so that's what you're seeing in in these kids these days with the training and also with the the specialized training is is being able to adapt and adjust on the spot um, because that's how the game is played. Yeah. And I mean uh, that, that, and in all that really, it also breeds a sort of like, a, you know, a form of creativity that you can't really get anywhere else. Exactly. And, and so that's like another great point Beeks. like is back then too, it was players were robots um, now players, they, they're not, they're not robotic. They're, they're given a set of tools and they're adjusting, right? They're, they're reading, reacting. Um, so there's so many different systems, so many different tactics that are, are ingrained into our, our brain, our, our thought process that it, it happens so quick, but the repetition in practice and training is so important to, to basically have the muscle memory and then also just the awareness that mind, that second sense uh, to, to have that awareness of, of what's going on. Like that, that training is so huge and, and to see how it's being done um, is, uh, is just crazy. Yeah, no doubt. It's awesome. Oh yeah. I I couldn't agree more. Uh, You know, uh, Anybody else got anything to throw throw to that? Because I mean, that's a that's a huge that's a huge step in hockey evolution, you know. Well, I I think it is definitely a huge thing for sure, Beeks, and I will agree with you with that. Especially because um, with you getting on that uh, 2006 Manchester team, there, goats. Um, you, yeah. you played with Westgarth a little bit, and he was up and down with with you at the same time, um, which, you know, he, he kind of had to learn the system, too. Um, I he, he was able to win a cup with the Kings, that's for sure. I wish you would have, would have, but, you know, um, you know, you just see it's also what I'm getting at is you need to know your role, and they called him up for his role and what he yeah. played – for the actual monarchs and the actual kings at that time, which was the "I don't give a shit, I'm gonna knock your teeth in if you mess with any of my guys," and I feel that that's that helped the kings win the cup that one year. 
because they, it felt like they were untouchable as well. Yeah, you're 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 spot on. And and if you look at every every championship team, you have you have a guy like Westgarth, right? Like you, you you just you look back, and there's always that enforcer of knowing the role. But then where the evolution, and this is a great like he's a great example, great point. Not only is he a friend of mine, but he also put out the movie The Ice Guardians. Um, yeah. You know that talks talks about that role of the enforcer, and then how that role has now evolved into uh, playing the game, right? So then you, you can see how Westgarth, like his progression of his his stats, and even one year he had he had more points than me because he was put in situations and roles, especially like power play, like getting in front of the net. That like if anyone was going to mess with him, he was going to you know beat their face in. Um, oh yeah, but he could also move. Like he could skate, he could handle the, he could score, and so you have that kind of combination. It's like, oh man, like it, you you keep breeding that. Um, and yes, he he contributed highly to to their success to the cup. Um, you know, and then there's a there's a saying that that goes like, you you can teach a big guy to skate, but you can't teach a skater to be big. Right. Um, That's very true, buddy. And, and so that was that was the one thing I had to battle my my whole career. And I mean those those other players that come to mind for me in that kind of situation and role are players like Dustin Penner as well. And what oh, he yeah. did for, oh yeah. You know. Um, oh yeah. Yep, another for, great example. Oh, yeah, he played against he was, he was a main. Yep. And I wanted to touch upon coming to a new team and, you know, needing that creativity because one of the things that I noticed when moving through teams and playing for different clubs was, you know, we're all going to have some kind of traditional practice drills. It's not too hard to figure out what's going on at that level when you join the team and how it's being run and the different colors of the jerseys and stuff. But one of the things that takes a little while to get used to is how your team breaks uh, breaks into the zone, does neutral zone breakouts, and also like what kind of forecheck they run, what kind of back checking they do, and stuff like that. And what I'm getting at is the game also is moving faster as you get higher up, and you're having to put all of these new systems in place from a coach with a faster mm-hmm. league. And one of the things that was really apparent to me was I was now learning how to get open in space for a few split seconds to get the puck and pass it on or get the puck and shoot it. And I found that that transition was very difficult. Like I knew how to play hockey, but all of a sudden it became more about how I got open because once I got the puck, I wasn't going to have much time. I needed to know where the other guy was going to be. And I'm kind of wondering what your experience was like going through the the ranks as well in, in that respect. Yeah, no, it's, it's great stuff. And uh, there definitely is a jump and, and that's it, but it's a fine line, right. Of, of sort of those intangibles that, uh, you talked about of, of knowing where to be and when to be um, because 
realistically, like every team has the same breakout, has a different name for it, <clears throat> or has done it so many times that you can tweak it to a, to a certain point um, where that player will adjust <clears throat> to know where to be. But that is one of the things that, uh, that separates the, the cream from the crop is knowing when, where to be and when to be. Um, you know, going from junior to college and then even from the American League to the NHL, it was just split second of making that decision to receive the puck um, because the quicker you can get into position, it just it then gives you that split second to, to make more time. And I remember that was one thing Derek Armstrong told me when I first uh, signed with L.A. Um, you know, he, and we worked on this stuff after regular practice was he goes, go as soon as you get the puck, it's bam, bam, bam. It's three, three chops, three steps. Um, and he goes, that's, that's where you got to separate your, yourself from, uh, from that opponent. And, and I, that's what I teach these kids because, uh, going back to being a smaller guy is I got to make that, that, that much distance up in the same amount of time as someone that's bigger than me. So it's got to be, Pam, get the puck and it's step. But then I also got to be in the position quick enough in order to allow me that time. But then, yes, that's that fine line of, of knowing when and where to be um, and then how, how and what to do with the puck. And Gabe, that's awesome. You know, it just has me kind of thinking when you have to think about the, the cohesiveness that goes into a game like that you talked about, um, you know, what, what are some of the things that, you know, a professional team does, like the LA Kings or even a junior team? What do you guys do to prepare for a game? You know, the difference between the junior level to the NHL level, is there, is there film footage? Do you guys go through, obviously, how different teams break out? Do you look at certain plays or certain habits of teams? Kind of just take us through what you do to prepare. Yeah, so um, uh, the the amount of resources or availability of like uh training tools and all that also depends on the budget of the team uh, meaning so like if uh you're playing AAA and all that you're not going to have the same tools uh as like playing at Denver right D1 and then D1 doesn't have the same amount of tools as the NHL uh so it was pretty neat to see all that experience and each level had its own different style of of kind of prep or uh, the analytics, right? The analyzing of, of the opponents. Um, <clears throat> you know, when I played junior, the technology, that was 99 to 02. So technology really wasn't there, right? So everything was still on VHS tapes and um, and that had to be mailed, right? The coaches mailed VHS tapes to the other teams uh, and all that stuff. So it was very uh kind of on the spot of you just be ready to play and you go and then the more we played that those teams is that and that's when you you had to be familiar right and so that was part of hockey sense of knowing it um because the in junior there was times that we would play a certain team eight to ten times in a season so you get to know those players those goalies uh their habits and tendencies without having to watch film but then when you go into college, then it's a whole different ball game because then you have a whole different budget. 
And, and so then they're, they're taping every game and then they're, they're breaking it down into this software uh, that, you know, started to evolutionize the, the, the sport and, and also other sports too. Um, and so then you could break it down and see your shifts and they could break it down on my face-offs and um, I could really tech, uh, you know, work on my technique and see what other players, uh, you know, especially going you know, like into, a, into a series you would see what other uh, centermen were, their tendencies were. Um, so there was a lot of advancements there. The amount of time to put into it just didn't fit into like everything I'm talking about. So we had some allotted time to go over it. So that's where the coaches and the assistant coaches were key uh, as far as their duties to to basically break break down a game and then they call them ISOs. So it was isolate each player in, in their clips. And it was good clips, bad clips, uh, depending on, you know, what the coach was looking for or all that stuff and then put it in a folder. So then when you would meet with the coach, all your clips would be there and you'd go over them. And so you spend about an hour with the coach once a week um, going over your, your games from the past weekend and then spending about another half hour uh, watching film on the team or the school that we were playing the following or the next weekend, right? Um, and then for me, as like playing, I I would just do little stuff to warm up. You know, I wasn't uh, too ritual as far as my my warming up. But then that was also something that changed too. Is uh, from junior to college to then pro, uh, it it follows with the name, right? And so junior, you're still juvenile, right? You're learning the process. College, you're uh, you're in that amateur status, right? So you're kind of learning the ropes of how to then become a pro. And then when you're a pro, that's when you should know it, right? And and what I mean by knowing it is instead of sitting down and, and, and having a, a chocolate bar and a cup of coffee two hours before the game, you're doing a dynamic warm-up, right? You're doing a dam- dynamic stretch. You're playing some soccer. Uh, you're getting your blood flowing. You're, you're, you're taking care of your body before the game. Um, so you're going into the game ready, um, right? So you're, 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 you're being a pro. And so those were the things that uh, – I definitely learned from the different levels as I, as I moved up. And then with even in the NHL, man, the technology there was just crazy um, of what, what could be done. And then, you know, from, from back then to even now with, you know, the iPads and even live, live stuff on the bench, the the tools they have now is just insane. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so with that, that's where, the skill set makes the, the the factor right it's it's the skill set and then the other thing is the uh the integrity the will and and the want right it's who's who's gonna want it more than the other guy that night right and that's the thing that's the beauty about hockey is win or lose you have another night right there's gonna be another game except for when you get into playoffs and then it's a whole different ball game but in regular season is you, you go in with your, your mindset, right? That I'm going to be better than the other guy, but you know, life is life. And it happens where they just want it more than you, or they've done something 
uh, a step greater than you did that earned them the win. But you're like, shit, uh, all right, I got next game. And, and it goes with, with winning too is, all right, I, I, I outwilled my opponent. I, I wanted it more. Well, I got another opponent next week. So I just got to, now I got to prep for that one. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's the pro mentality of you, you, you don't, they're not so much teaching it to you. It's expected. And so what I mean by that too, is also with the game film is the coaches will do generic team game film as far as on a team concept, but like they leave it available for, I know at least in my time, they left it available for us to do it on our own because that was part of our job, right? Is we're getting paid to do a job. And so they give us the, our, our own ISOs and we'd study our own play and, and all that. And then basically <clears throat> set up a time with the assistant coach to then see what they wanted or how that, how we can correct our game um, to then m- make it better and all that stuff. So it definitely was uh, the amount of time on and off the ice as far as preparation increased with the with the level of advancement from from junior to college to pro holy moly that was really in-depth and a really great answer i mean i just wanted to ask that just because maybe some people you know from the side just look at hockey and they see it's a fast sport but maybe they don't understand it don't see or understand how it can be really be broken down into x's and o's and you can slow it down, and it's there's a lot of thought process, and it's a really um, a fast game when you look at it in a different way. Yep, definitely, and and even with the off ice training part too, like the, what they're doing now is even more than what we did, um, and and back then too, like even just the the science of everything has has evolved, which is just unbelievable. And, and back then, what was prominent as far as the the training was the olympic lifting um you know so it was the the cleans the squats the jerks um you know bench press but it was also like how much weight can you push how much weight can you move where now is how fast can you move that weight right that's that's the mindset uh, of training now is how fast can you be how how much faster how much stronger you know how how much quicker can you be? And so that's, that's where the training has come in and, and evolved too. Um, where it's just, it's just amazing where, it, you know, a millisecond could, could mean a game. It, it's absolutely nuts. Especially when you're investing so much money in other areas, you're going to start as you advance through those levels, leave no stone unturned and, this is something that I was experiencing on my way out of playing at a high level, but the mm-hmm. nutritional science element of it too, ah. just the whole part of what we were eating, when, how, how much, and, you know, team, team sponsored dinners, which you soon realized from like, you're controlling my calories, but that's okay. You know, cause it was still all right. <laughs> you know, did you see any of that as well? <laughs> Yeah, so definitely it was, um, and it and it goes along too with um, with the budget, right? So with junior hockey, there's not a you, you're not getting paid to play, um, you know. So depending, you know, who your family family is and all that stuff, I I I was fortunate enough to have my family put my money into hockey and not for me to 
so much go eat. So that was good. Um, but I, uh, I definitely would eat very on the cheap, uh, in junior. And then also at the billet house, um, when I stayed at the, the billets of the host family, I also learned how to cook for myself. Um, back when I was 15, just because of the, and this was part of the prep, right. Is, is pregame meals, right? So right. pregame meals, you know, seven o'clock game, I'd have a pregame meal around one o'clock, one thirty, Um, and, and for me, I, I didn't expect the, the billet mom or the, the host mom to, to cook me pregame meal. Right. Like I, I wasn't some king and they were my slave. Right. Uh, so I, I had to learn how to cook and what my go-to was, was, was just chicken and rice. And it was a simple recipe where you just put everything in a pot, right. Or a pan yeah. and, and put it in the oven. Right. Um, and, and that was it. And so what I, what I knew was to, to carb up and, and basically load up early, uh, before games. And, and so that's what I did <clears throat> and then ate very cheaply, uh, the rest of the time. And then college was the same thing. It was, uh, eat cheaply on my own, but then what, uh, what was provided, we were, you know, uh, we were fed decent meals because pregame meal was taken care of. Postgame meal was taken care of on some nights. Um, you know, we'd eat well on, on the road as, as a team. Um, a lot of the same thing, chicken and chicken and rice and pasta. Um, not so much red meat is a lot of that. It was pretty much typical. Um, and then getting into pro, then that's where all the science came in and the different, uh, you know, the different diets and then each each player has to eat according to what their, uh, what their, you know, metabolism is like and, and their, their whole metabolic system. Right. So you're analyzed it's in, and you're, you're then instructed on, on a certain diet based on what they saw, you know, as your body composition and all that stuff. And wow. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty intense. And then, um, then it got to the point where it was like, okay, you can kind of, cheat day right we, we'd we call it cheat day and, and cheat day was uh you know where, where we go fast food or it, it would be something sloppy you know like a cheese steak or something like that but uh oh, oh, oh. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it was yeah we were ross we, likes the cheat day part of it yeah <laughs> yeah you know, and cheesy too you know just dripping off the off the bread right um but it was Beauty. it was regimented but the the other thing too is eating as a team at the pro level, the NHL, like that, that experience was nuts. Um, so pregame meal, like we, we'd stay at, you know, four star, five star hotels and we would go down for pregame meal and it would, it would be like buffet style. Right. But it would be a spread and you would, you would have chicken, but it wouldn't be like boiled chicken, right. It would be actually cooked chicken. Um, and, good, and, good. Yeah, like good, good, like the good chicken, you know. <laughs> and uh, and it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't taste like doesn't taste like rubber and stuff, you know. Um, I didn't think I've had any of that. <laughs> so yeah, you'd, you'd have chick, you'd have the chicken, you'd have pasta, you'd have a lot of vegetables. Um, you know, we'd have steamed vegetables, we'd have uh, you know cooked vegetables. Uh, there'd be baked potatoes. Uh, then there'd be uh, certain meats like a steak um then there'd be shrimp there'd be fish like salmon 
Um, there'd be cheese. There would be uh, like cereal, peanut butter, uh, bread, bananas, fruit, whole bunch of fruit. Uh, like to- like it was just crazy the spread, right? Um, and it was almost it's like oh man, like this is awesome, you know the L.A. Kings buffet. So <laughs> who needs to go to Golden Corral, right? <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you you can't you can't get like that. So that's kind of, it's kind of like a test, right? Is you, you eat what you need, but knowing that you're going to be provided what you need kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, so that's the thing. That's the, that's the pro mentality. So, so it's kind of the opposite of what my buddy Ger, uh, who's a Hmong, he, he goes, if you get a buffet, you go for the most expensive stuff first. That way you get your fill and then you can do your noodles, rice, your potatoes, whatever the hell. afterwards. <laughs> For some reason, I just have this picture of like Radko Gudas, like going up to like whoever the rookie is on his current team and just being like, easy, my friend, like pace yourself. <laughs> you eat the better food first. Yeah. <laughs> or Bufflin, too. Bufflin would do something. Oh, like that. yeah. Big Bufflin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's good. <laughs> good stuff. Good. Good, hey, good questions and like good topics because that's that's like uh, obviously off the cuff, right? But also stuff that's inside, basically like in, inside the inside the bench kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah, you got to oh, yeah. be on the bench to learn this that's, kind of stuff, man. You got to you got to you got to be on the bench of the beaks, right? You got to ride the bench to understand. So, <laughs> 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 yeah. Love that's it, great. but that's great, man. Well, and uh, and I know that uh, you had some time in Germany too. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I got a couple minutes here, and then uh, so we'll we'll leave it. We'll leave it with Germany. Um, so that is uh, that was an experience that was uh, it was twofold. It was eye-opening from a hockey standpoint, but also eye-opening from a cultural standpoint. Um, meaning understanding and, and kind of seeing a different culture, like an absolute uh, different culture. Like, uh, you know, we're not, we're not talking about moving to a different city in the United States, right? And you have that. It's, we, we lived in, in Friedberg, Germany, which was just outside of Augsburg. Um, you know, and we had a little townhouse there and uh, you know, with, with the neighbors and it was in a, a little community and, uh, had to learn, had to learn the language a little bit, or at least understand it. And then their customs and, and traditions. And it was, uh, it was great. And then it, like going to the grocery store, it was you, uh, so the mentality of the grocery store was it's there for you to eat that day. Um, where, here here in the united states like when we go to the grocery store we we kind of bulk up right we 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 plan for a week or two weeks ahead and you know we have deep freezers and freezers and all that stuff that's just our it's our custom it's it is what it is um but out there we we had a small fridge it was it was about a like you take a beer beer fridge like a, a beer dorm fridge right and you take three of those stack them Right. So it's uh, about three beer fridges tall and, and wide and then a little spot, yeah. uh, you know, up top for for a freezer. That that's what we had. 
they did have Western, um, and the, like that's what they called it, but it was like Western uh, uh, appliances, um, <laughs> right? But it was so expensive, right? It, it just it just wasn't worth it to to do that. So you live you live like them, and so when when you go to the store, and that's the thing, the store was just a stone's throw, a walk away. So we'd walk to the store to get our breakfast, uh, you know, lunch and dinner and stuff like that, because everything was fresh. Um, there was no, no preservatives and all that stuff. And it was, um, it was, it was pretty unique. Right. And so that was the thing. Like if we, if we bought something and it sat in the fridge for more than two days, it was bad because there was nothing in it to preserve it. And we were eating like fresh cheese, right. That's coming from, from a, a farm it was processed but it was processed from from those those farmers and even the meat too like the meat had no preservatives it was all fresh freshly cut um it was uh cool uh i my mouth is watering right now i know right so, so, yes. so that's like germany germany was big on 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 bread on meats uh like cheeses um, you know, the meat's obviously the bratwurst, but like the, that sausage style meat, um, or even, uh, uh, like spatzel, which is like a, a, a pounded pork or you can do pounded chicken. Yeah. Um, it's so good. You know, like that's, <laughs> that's unreal too. Uh, or schnitzel, it's called schnitzel. Yeah. Spatzel, spatzel is like the egg noodles, which is good. Um, but yeah, no, that was, that was the cool part. Um, the other thing too, is like we had, a, uh, our daughter was two, like two and a half at the time. So that was a complete shocker too, of a change. Um, you know, with, with a two year old here, there's a lot of care that's still like, like medical care that still needs to be done. Um, like checkups and, and just with the growth of, of a child, um, and then going to a foreign country, then there's, there's different, uh, germs and viruses right so like she got sick and then how they handle um the the medical stuff it's all social med- medicine right so it's every it's, we we had the free health care but you 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 waited in line for your turn or you had to make an appointment to to see the doctor and, and then they had certain times um that the doctor's office was open uh and a lot of the businesses too would work from like eight o'clock till noon and then take a break from noon to three and then work from three to five. And then that was like their day. Um, it was, uh, pretty interesting. And even the school system there too was, was different, but, um, just being there, we got to see a lot of cool stuff, like the history, the, the castles, you know, riding in the trains, uh, driving on the Autobahn. Like we had a, we got provided a car, but it was like a toy box car, right? It was a Toyota, oh. it was a Toyota Versa, um, six speed. That's where I first technically learned how to drive a stick was in Germany. My wife taught me. Oh. There you um, go. There you go. You know? And so, so I'm, you know, we're cruising, we're cruising down the autobahn in this Toyota Versa, which is like the 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 size of a like a a dresser, um, and. <laughs> I'm doing a, I'm doing a, like a, a hundred and forty clicks like kilometers right so it's pretty like a hundred something miles an hour close to it 
And this car is just rattling, right? It's just shaking. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm in six, it was a six speed, right? So I'm, I'm all the way in sixth gear and this thing's just shaking because it's just going so fast. I feel like the wheels are going to pop off. And then the crazy thing is I had like people. So the way they drive there is instead of using their, like if you hear the horn, you're in deep shit. Cause like, you're there, <laughs> like you're going too slow. So what they do yeah. is they, they flash their flashers, right? So if you see the flashers in your rear view, it's get over, you know, or else like you're going to get run over. And so that was the thing is the, the lanes uh, kind of went with the speed. So like the far left lane was uh, drive as fast as you can. And if someone's in front of you, uh, flash them, they get out of your way and then they get right back behind you kind of thing. Um, but like you would see like Porsche and BMW, Mercedes, like they would Audi, like just zoom, zoom, zoom. It was nuts. Um, I'm kind of upset that you didn't get like a four four eight like spider Ferrari or something like that, you know. <laughs> you know, see, that's the thing. If I would go back, that's so any play any players listening that are going to you know, play in Europe, you know, do all that stuff, take advantage of the situation, right? And that's the other thing too, is there's so much to do, but like and, and the hockey. So the hockey, we'll, we'll go on that point, is um is obviously more spread out wide open because of the size of the ice. But the, the, uh, the season is like a college season, meaning you play two games on the weekend and it's you know, like a Friday, Saturday or a Saturday, Sunday, but you play a two, two game a weekend schedule. Um, so it's not as demanding on, on you as a, like the player on the body, like getting hurt and all that stuff. You have more time to recover. Um, but then the other thing, other thing too, is like, if you have a family is you're not on the road as much, um, you know, cause like our furthest trip was to go to Berlin, uh, Berlin and Hamburg, right. It was about 10 hours, uh, by, by, uh, bus. And then, uh, for playoffs, we took the train, but anyway, it was 10 hours by bus. Uh, but we'd stay there and then come back, uh, Sunday, right. Uh, where, in the American league playing in the American league, there'd be times that we'd be on the road for a week, a uh, week and a half, two weeks, same with, you know, playing in, in other minor leagues. So that was a huge difference. Um, not only the toll on the body, but just the toll on the, and we call it the grind, right? And that like a lot of players would say it's such a grind. That season was a grind and the grind is a cumulative of, of not only the playing season, but also the travel, like that's, that's a grind too. And so there's less grindage, um, you know, to quote, uh, Encino man, you know, Pauly Shore, uh, uh, (laughs) great philosopher of our time. Great philosopher, uh, Stoney, Stoney from, uh, from Encino man. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so so the game the game was was different too. Uh, so it was a lot of finesse, and it was a lot more. Uh, be, it was a lot more of being in the right place at the right time, and then it was more speed. Um, because one mistake, like guys would just slip right by you, and they had that space. Uh, so it was more of a tactical game, especially defensively. So a lot of angling, a lot of pinching off instead of um that real physical play like trying to catch a guy with his head down because there it looks like the guy's head's down but 
he's looking up and you go to him and it's like, he, he goes the other way. Um, you know, so it was a completely different game. Uh, it was also very offensive, meaning the style, like, I, I'm not kidding you. Like our, our forecheck, our style of play when I played in Augsburg, it was a, uh, <coughs> a one or a four one. It was like whatever defense, like the rule was uh, as soon as we transition, like if we got it out of the zone or if the D had the opportunity to skate it, he would skate it and he would take it. And then it would be the forwards follow and join the play. And it would be a four, four man uh, attack. Like they wanted the D to jump and, and it was basically make sure we have at least one person back. But if we can get four in, let's get four in. Um, so it was crazy. And then uh, the funny, the funny part, it was like soccer. So the home team, the crowd was very influential on the calls that were being made by the, by the officials. <laughs> right. So uh, like it, it's, it was so funny. There'd be times when the play would be going and, you know, something would be happening. It, it would be questionable. Okay. It'd be questionable. And the play would then continue for another like two or three seconds. The crowd would then erupt and then boo or whistle. <clears throat> and that's a big thing in Europe is whistling. So whistling is kind of that F you, um, you know, uh, loudly. So, so a lot of whistling and, and booing. And then all of a sudden the official would put this arm up, right? And, uh, but it it would happen all the time. Uh, so you had to adjust to that too. And it was like certain rinks, uh, the officials were just so intimidated by, by the crowd, um, that it, it got to the point where it's like, you could not play a physical game because anything like you would touch a guy in the box, roughing, you know, and then you try to, you try to argue with them and then they just start speaking to you in German, but they knew what you were talking about. So, <laughs> you know, so, so the fans definitely called the penalties in that sense. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Cause there was, um, well at least, so let me clarify, I'll put it this way. So the penalties that were more like behind the play or a, a questionable, uh, a questionable call, right. Or even a call, that should not be a call, right? Because it's the fans doing it. And, right. like, you know, the, 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 I get fans, I love you, but to an extent, the game is so fast. And what you think you see, you may not, uh, is not really what have happened, right? Yeah, it's um, not a reality, basically. Yeah, it's not yeah. a reality. So, so that's the thing. And with those officials, they're trained to see the game at almost the same pace. So, they're also human. They're going to miss things, but that's where you see the influence of the, of the crowds was more of like, if it was a kind of a late hit, right. But then the, the official's like, nah, it was good enough. But then the crowd goes, starts going crazy. Then he makes the call. Right. So, yeah. so that kind of stuff, that's, that's where you'd see it. So wow. they, they did, but they didn't basically. Right. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we know that you have to go, Gabe, so we don't want to keep you any longer. So, no, I, pre- I appreciate it. We definitely do it again. Obviously, we got more to talk about. Um, and then uh, just also good points, too, like for, for, for kids, you know, uh, that are listening. 
um, that are going through those different levels of play or that are, are, are currently at that one level and, and looking to make the jump um, or even, you know, young kids coming out of college that, uh, that are looking to play in Europe and, you know, want to ask some questions. That's another thing too. Like I'm available. So I don't know if you can post my email or something on your, on your guys's sheet or not, but like re- reach out. That's why I'm here. That's why, that's why I love doing this um, is, oh, yeah. is more, more inf- in- informing, right. Is, uh, uh, is, is reliving, reliving the past, but for information. Right. And, right. and that's, so I love doing it guys. I appreciate it. And what you guys well, are doing is awesome. Well, well it's we'll like, as G.I. Joe would say, uh, you know, knowledge is half the battle. So, <laughs> yes, right on. Well, so. there's no doubt we're going to definitely have to do a part three here soon. But uh, Gabe, thank you so much for uh, coming on, talking with us, man. We love, we always love talking to you, bud. Yep. No, I appreciate it, Beeks. Um, so, Hope you guys had a good Christmas, and it looks like we're we're in we're into a better twenty twenty one New Year. So things are on the up and up. Well, let's fucking but, hope. Yeah, fingers crossed, bud. Exactly. So awesome, boys. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, guys. At least you're tired. Have a good one. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Talk to you. Bye. Let's say goodbye. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. Time for shout outs. Uh, yeah, Daniel, you want to lead us off in shout-outs? Sure, guys. I'll just say thanks to all of our listeners, our sponsors, and um, just around the NHL world right now, uh, I'm just shout-out to it being back. I think by the time this airs, like it's the day one or two of the NHL season starting. So, yeah, woohoo! Sir. Like, I'm pretty stoked to see hockey back. So... Um, I will keep my fingers crossed for the week and hope that continues. Cause I also read today that, uh, the Dallas Stars season is postponed for like at least a week because of an outbreak. So, um, yep. yeah, shout out to the NHL for getting this season off the ground asterisks, hopefully. All right, Ross, what do you got? Well, um, I just like to, uh, just shout out to the fans and all of that. Um, yeah, um, kind of just, yeah, elated this whole entire last week. Uh, you know, found out that uh, everything came back negative from my procedure. So um, I'm pretty stoked on that. Um, so thank God for that. And, um, yeah, just uh, my friends and family and you guys for sure. Right on, Bryce. Uh, yeah, so friends, family, um, I'm really happy that NHL starting again uh, because I cannot stand watching any more uh, hockey games from the past, and I feel like the juniors are just a tease. <laughs> so I'm really happy to have the NHL back, and of course, Dog Nation, My Beer Nation. Um, yeah, and I think that's it. BJC is wearing a total cock tease, weren't they? Total tease. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody listening. Thank you to everybody who's ever been on. Thank you to Gabe Goche, and uh, yeah, thank you. So without further ado, V Horsh. Salut. Abiyazen. Abiento.
try the damn thing, see what happens. 